Thanks. My name's Elder. I am an alcoholic. I love alcoholics, anonymous. And uh, oh, thanks, Katie. Glad you can make it. Um, and uh, I can't remember how the, the thing goes. Uh, Duke God's Grace and uh, Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and Super Strong Sponsorship. I have been sober since July 20th, 1993. And for that, I'm really grateful. Um, this is a workshop on um, singleness of purpose. And, uh, you know, it's one of those um, topics. It's a bit like when you do a, a workshop on the concepts. You know, it's. Um, You'll, you'll get uh, one or two people, really, people who are either really passionate about it and really want to know that they're not alone, or you get people who are too new to know what it's about. And, uh, and I'm really happy to have both of them, actually, you know, but uh, singleness of purpose is one of those topics that can really um, raise some tempers in rooms, you know, and I think, um, I think it's one of those things that uh, it's just misunderstood. I really do. Uh, I heard a talk of Bill Wilson's in 1958. Bill Wilson did a talk on singleness of purpose because he was worried about it in 1958 for the exact same reasons that we're worried about it today. You know, uh, people were coming into Alcoholics Anonymous with all kinds of problems. Um, and Bill Wilson does a great job of describing how complicated the alcoholic is. We're complicated people. Some people come in with just an alcohol problem. Absolutely true. Uh, but the vast majority come in with lots of other problems. I mean, there are people in my home group who have been married six times and twice to the same people. You know, I mean, there's overeaters. There's uh, admitters anonymous. And absolutely a true thing, you know. Um, I actually talked up in Oregon once, and uh, the whole front row had these, um, these wheels for knitting. And I thought, see, I understand now that there is a knitter synonymous. You know, they couldn't put their wheels away for an hour and a half, you know. Um, you know, alcoholics are complicated people. And, you know, um, even in Bill Wilson's time and, and Dr. Bob, they had um, barbiturates. And, you know, they had all these other opiates and all these things going on. And, and today we have the same problem, you know. Um, but today, because <clears throat> this generation, I guess, I don't know what it is, but um, we think we're special. You know, um, Alcoholics Anonymous is in trouble because people want to change it. You know, because you think that, um, because there are so many more people coming in with dual addictions. I've heard that argument so many times, and it's just not true. There were as many people coming into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1958 with barbiturates problems as there are coming in with meth problems today. Um, it's no different. You know, the, the thing about singleness of purpose doesn't have anything to do with wanting to keep Alcoholics Anonymous pure because we want to be special, because we're unique, because we're the special ones. We are alcoholics, and we should keep it really controlled so that we can make sure we're going to get well. Singleness of purpose is about the identification. It's the identification. I mean, Katie has other substances, and Charlie has other substances, and Don Major had other substances, and Clancy has other substances, and Johnny Harris has other substances. I mean, we have other substances. You heard my talk last night. I have 
other substance, you know, um, because as an alcoholic, I'm a trash can, you know, I'm a rubbish bin. I'm the, I'm the drunk in the bar where the girl next to me goes, here, take this, it'll be a good time. I go, okay, you know. <laughs> the thing on this, the purpose is about the identification, because if I spent all my talk last night talking about cocaine, I would lose 90% of the room. 10% might understand. But the other 90% are going to go, well, when is this going to be over? You know. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, I think that, I think, to be true to myself, I have to mention it. Just like Katie has to mention other substances, because that's my story. You know, Bill talks about it in his story. That's our story. The identification comes from all those um, what happens and feelings that go with drinking, and then what happens when I stop drinking. You know, um, I'm one of those people, and, and you may or may not identify, but I'm one of those people that if I'm not drinking, I'm not doing anything else. If I'm drinking, I'm doing anything else. But if I'm not drinking, I'm not doing anything else. Because I'm an alcoholic. I am a drunk through and through. You know, all that other stuff just, for me, enhanced my drinking. You know, um, this is some people call them party favors. It's like a code we've come up with, an alcoholic synonymous, you know, other substances, outside issues, party favors, you know. Um, the identification is the key, and Charlie mentioned it in his talk. And, um, you know, on page 18 of the big book, it says, highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss his situation without reserve. Strangely enough, Wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable than do the psychiatrist and the doctor. But the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Entire confidence. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. But the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty. And he obviously knows what he's talking about, and his whole deportment shouts as the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing whatever except the sincere desire to be helpful. But there are no fees to face, no acts to grind, no people to please, no lectures to endure. These are the conditions we have found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. It's the identification. Right? If I don't identify with you, I can't hear what you're trying to tell me. You know, the only reason I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous when I phoned AA that time, on the 20th of July, 1993, was because Steve Baker on the phone identified. He identified with me. He, I knew from the way he was talking that he knew exactly how I felt. Now, I've heard Steve's talk, and he had absolutely nothing in common with me. Nothing in common. The guy came from a totally different place. He was in the military for 25 years. I mean, he was homophobic, misogynist. He was everything. I just liked a human being. But I identified when he talked about his drinking. I identified when he told me why he came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I had nowhere else to go and I really thought Alcoholics Anonymous wasn't going to work, he's the only reason why I came back, because I knew he understood how I felt. He gave me hope. You know, I've been in meetings. Um, I was in uh, San Francisco for work, and I was in a meeting one night, 
and um, the guy who was leading um, started talking about um, sex, which is fine. We talk about sex, and a lot of people have sex problems and alcoholics and all this, shockingly enough. Um, but then he kept talking about it, and uh, it was a 45-minute lead, and about 25 minutes into it, I leaned next to the girl next to me and said, is this alcoholic anonymous? And apparently it was. But he hadn't mentioned his drinking yet. Twenty minutes into a talk about sex. I, I, I left the meeting wondering where I could find a real alcoholic's anonymous in it. I didn't have any problem with somebody talking about their sex problems in their story. But tie it to your drinking, for God's sake, because I don't get it. I don't. You know? Um, it's the same with gambling. Um, I heard a guy in uh, Colorado once. He was doing a great job of, you know, where he came from and what his family was like and, you know, his dad was a drunk. Okay. I kind of get that. He goes on and on. And, and then he started talking about his gambling. And I thought, oh, that sounds bad. You know? And by the end of his talk, I was glad I didn't gamble like that. You know? When I was in, um, <clears throat> when I was in Holland, there was a guy, um, I just thought about him, actually. Um, there was a fellow, Reed. And Reed was three weeks ahead of me in sobriety. So we were the babies in this meeting and home to a college. And uh, it was a small meeting anyway. And I really disliked Reed a lot. Um, he was really just a, just a weird guy. Um, but he was my cousin buddy because we were new. Um, so we did all these commitments together because we were new. Um, the reason I thought we'd start a meeting, right? As you do when you're new. Five months over, we're going to start our own meeting. You know, um, no, we're done with driving an hour and a half to these meetings because we drove everywhere for meetings. So we were going to start a Sunday night meeting um, in the same hall that we were having our Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday meeting. And uh, and my sponsor kind of laughed and said, you know, good luck with that. Um, here's the format. Give it a go. Um, so Reed and I would show up every Sunday night and. Uh, We'd wait for somebody to arrive. It's a small community. There was only seven in our home group. So Reed and I would be there, and every Sunday night, we'd, um, you know, he'd read something, I'd read something, he'd share, and I'd identify, and we'd close the meeting. And then next week, I'd share, and he'd identify, and we'd close the meeting. And uh, one night, this guy came in, and we were like, ooh, newcomer, right? So now there's three of us, so um, we get him to read something, and Reed shares, and I share, and I identify, and Reed, uh, I share my story, Reed identifies, and, you know, we're, we're all cocky, and we got one more, and we look over at this guy and say, uh, uh, would you like to share? And he goes, yeah, I'm glad I only gamble. I mean, he didn't get it at all, you know? We forgot to ask him if he had a drink problem. We were just happy he was there, you know? <laughs> In working with others, it talks about practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when, no, when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carrying the message to other alcoholics, you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow about you and a host of friends is an experience you must not miss. Frequent contact with the newcomer and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Our lives depend on us identifying with newcomers. I mean, if I if I forget that my job here is to be um, 
the identification for the newcomer. If I get wrapped up in my relationship or my work, you know, um, I don't know what your meetings are like. There are a lot of discussion meetings around. And one of my meetings, um, we do sharing for 30 minutes, and then we have a speaker. And in that 30 minutes, lots of people get up to share for five or seven minutes or whatever it is. And um, I know that it's my responsibility in those five or seven minutes to give the newcomer hope, right? It would be remiss of me and dangerous to Alcoholics Anonymous if every week I got up and shared for five minutes about my job, right? I get up there and say, you know, my boss is such an arsehole and life is just terrible and I can't, you know, where's the hope? You know, again, I hear people do it all the time. You know, my wife doesn't do this, my husband doesn't do that, the kids are this, the kids are that. It's like, yeah, but did you drink? You know, are you grateful to be sober today? Because that's what a newcomer needs to hear. They need the identification from your drinking. They need the identification of what it feels like not to be drinking. You know, most people, the real problems start when they stop drinking, right? <laughs> and Judy does a great um, description of her drinking when she says, you know, she's either drinking, thinking about drinking, or getting over drinking. That's what newcomers identify with. That's what people are nodding about, right? You don't get that, you know, I'm annoyed because I had to work long hours at work today. You know, I see newcomers come up to you afterwards and go, we should have had a job, you know? Okay, there's your hope. You can get a job one day, mate, you know. <laughs> um, and it's funny because, um, you know, when Bill Wilson talks about this, um, he talks about people having queer, queer sex ideas and um, um, mental problems. And, you know, well, if you heard my story last night, uh, you know that there are many of us like that. Um, <laughs> But the truth is, I qualify for about 15 other fellowships. If I were really honest, I qualify for 15 others easily, you know. But the reality is, for me, Alcoholics Anonymous works, you know. Um, I have sponsees that I have pointed towards Al-Anon. You know, they need Al-Anon, I'll point them to Al-Anon. I don't understand Al-Anon because I don't qualify. I really don't. I love it when people say, well, you qualify for Al-Anon, all your friends are alcoholics. That's not it. <laughs> so that's not it. You know? And, and then with Al-Anon share, I'm grateful for Al-Anon because of my mother. It's done great things for my mother. You know, um, I had one of my sponsees once say to me, how come you don't go to Al-Anon? I said, well, it's really simple. If you drink, I will be disappointed. But I'm sleeping well tonight. I am not driving around looking for you, and I'm not going to call your husband to see how you are. And this girl goes, that's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> I said, and that's why you're going to Al-Anon. <laughs> right? It's about the identification. You know, and I love in uh, Bill Wilson's talk in 1958, he says, you know, if you, if you have problems other than alcohol, you are welcome to start your own meeting. Please take our 12 steps. Please use our literature. He was very open about it. But the bottom line was, you need to be among your own, right? Um, I, heroin addicts can, can talk to heroin addicts. They know what it's like. They know what it's like to have to share needles or whatever it is they do. I don't get it. I know what it's like to humiliate myself to, to get a drink. You know, I know what it's like 
to give away my dignity for a drink. You know, I know what it's like when I don't drink, and I feel like I'm coming out of my skin. You know, I know what it's like when my mom looks at me and goes, really, Hilda? You know, that look. I know what that's like. You know, I wasn't very long sober. I was just, I was living in Europe, and uh, my mom was in California. And I called her one night. It was like 3 in the morning my time. And uh, I said, you know, I'm really sorry, Mom, to, to call you. You know, it's, you know, it's your middle of the day, and, you know, but I just, just wanted to, to give you a call. And uh, it was 3 o'clock in the morning my time. And she goes, you know, Helda, you can call me anytime because now I know you'll remember. Alcoholics understand that. Non-alcoholics don't understand that. You know, they'll go down the road of, how could you do that to your mom? You know, how could you be like that? But alcoholics understand. It's the identification. You know, Bill Wilson dragged a whole bunch of drugs to the Oxford group because he thought that's what had helped him. He didn't know initially, right? He's dragging all these drugs to this really... Um, straight-laced Oxford group. <laughs> I mean, they were a little anal, I'm telling you. And he's bringing all these drunks in off the streets, and he doesn't understand why none of them are staying sober. You know, and, uh, and, the, and I love Clancy's version of, of Singleness of Purpose. I really love his talk. I've heard him do it a number of times, and he knows the history so well. But he often says, you know, the magic words where Alcoholics Anonymous hung in the... Um, hung in the, I can't think of the word he uses, but it was, it was live or die for Alcoholics Anonymous. It was when Lois turned around to him and said, but you did, Bill. You stayed sober. You know, I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous because without it, I wouldn't have the life I have today. And I really believe, and I know it's controversial, and I'm going to piss some people off, and I apologize ahead of time, <laughs> but I really believe that maybe it's time for AAA. Maybe somebody should start Alcoholics and Addicts Anonymous. Maybe you should have your own book to say how it's over alcohol and whatever. You know, maybe this time. I don't know. You know, you can imagine in 1958 when all these people were running around starting Gamblers Anonymous and OA and uh, Narcotics Anonymous, and now there's Cocaine Anonymous and Meth Anonymous, although I'm not quite sure why they need to be different. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it's the identification. Maybe the cocaine addicts can't identify with the meth addicts. Because that's what it's about. You know, nobody is trying to run anybody out of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's not what we're trying to do. And there's no, there's no need to get all head up when people say, look, if you're an alcoholic and just for tonight, can you just identify as an alcoholic? We're trying to help you identify as well as others identify with you. You know, everybody is welcome at Alcoholics Anonymous. Even in 1958, Bill was talking about everybody is welcome at an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. We just asked that you don't share. It's a small, small request. And yet, singleness of purpose is more important today than it's ever been. You know, where we are, and I know that I'm probably preaching to the choir in here, but as Katie was talking about, you hear about singleness of purpose in conferences. We need to be taking it to our groups to help people understand. You know, when people get all upset about, you know, well, he's got nowhere to go. Well, he can stay for the meeting. We just don't want to share. You know, and then we'll help him find narcotics around us. 
you know. Um, our um, kids' tradition, which um, I absolutely love, Tradition 5 actually starts with, Shoemaker, stick to thy loss. Better do one thing supremely well than many badly. That is the central theme of this tradition. Around it, our society gathers its unity. The very life of our fellowship requires the preservation of this principle. The very life. I mean, that's not, that's not uh, mince in any words. The very life of our fellowship depends on it. You know, I would, I would challenge you to help educate your groups. If your group is not a primary purpose group, you know, my home group is. We are very clear about our primary purpose. You know, um, and again, it doesn't mean that you can't share about other things. It doesn't mean that. It just means that it needs to be focused on alcohol so that the newcomer can identify. I can't tell you how many people last night came up to me after the meeting and identified with 18 other things in my story, whether it was mental hospitals or the, the mom thing or work or cocaine or, I mean, loads of people identified with other things. But everybody identified with my drinking. Everybody identified with the feelings associated with drinking. 99% of the people identified with not wanting to be an alcoholic synonymous. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> not everybody feels at home when they get to alcoholics anonymous. You know, and that, and that in itself is why we need to make people feel comfortable. We need them to know that we understand. You know, um, I don't think it's any mistake that we are um, the group that would not normally mix. I really don't. I think it is divinely put together, and I think it works really, really well when we work together. You know, our unity is our life. And that, you know, it's, it's quite funny, because I said to Andy yesterday when she was doing her uh, workshop, you know, don't leave them on a down note before I talk, right? <laughs> Just realize I'm doing singleness of purpose before her main talk. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you know, but I, I think the thing to, to remember, and, and you know, Bill Wilson, when he talked in 1958, he talked for 20 minutes, and he was very direct, and he was very clear, and, and I'm really hoping that I was able to be direct and clear. You know, it is not about keeping people out. It's about getting people to identify. You know, it's not a, you know... I can't tell you the arguments I've had with people over this, because um, I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you on singleness of purpose. I have no problem with that, you know, because I need Alcoholics Anonymous. I need it to be here if anything happens, and I need it to be here for the people in my life, you know. Um, I have nothing else. I really don't. I know Cocaine Anonymous isn't going to work for me, right? I know Narcotics Anonymous isn't going to work. Heaven knows I'm going to piss people off by going to hell and on. <laughs> Why don't you just leave them alone? <laughs> our primary purpose is to give maximum service to God and our fellows. You know, we do that by letting them know we understand. You know, we do that by <coughs> identifying with the, uh, the drinking, the feelings, and the actions. And you know, you may be a beer drinker only. 
I had somebody in England once say to me, I can't be an alcoholic, I only drink beer. You know, beer drinkers can't be alcoholics. In Ireland, if they're drinking Guinness, they're not drinking, right? It's about the nutrients, you know. When you start talking about the feelings, you start talking about the what happens, you start talking about the humiliation, you start talking about what it feels like not to drink for two days, now you've got them. Now they understand that you really identify with them. You know, that only works when one alcoholic talks to another. Only works when one alcoholic talks to another. You know, um, I, I sponsored a gal once in, uh, in England who, who really only drank twice a year. New Year's and St. Patrick's. Those are the only two days. As much an alcoholic as I am today. Right? Identified completely with all the feelings and uh, experience that people have in alcoholic smiles. She only drank twice a year. But when she drank, now we're in trouble. Because now she's getting arrested, she's missing for two weeks. You know, she's waking, you know, going to bed with a ten, waking up with a two. You know? <laughs> because it's what happens. You know, and that's what I love about page 33 when it talks about it. It doesn't matter what you drink. It doesn't matter how long you drink. It's what happens when you drink. You know, um, I, I heard somebody once say, oh, it's all about the motivations for drinking. No, it's not. Ask anybody in here, did you drink because it was a good day? Bad day? Rained? <laughs> Your second cousin's birthday? You know, don't take any excuse, you know, but only alcoholics get that, you know. Um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I know, I truly do know that I'm probably preaching to fire. Um, but singleness of purpose, it sometimes won't make you popular, you know, and, and I shared it last night. Um, I was told, and I really believe, that Alcoholics Anonymous is not high school. It's not, it's not about being popular or being liked. You know, sometimes standing up for the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous can make you unpopular. You know, Mary Thomas talks about, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, prepare to be divinely inconvenienced. Right? But it, it, it matters. You know, it's important. I have been loved and hated by Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm still here because I don't care. I will suit up and show up and, and stand up for what I believe in. You know, um, I'll, I'll tell this last story and then um, I'll give you a break before uh, Andy talks, which I'm excited about. Um, when I was in uh, London, we had this thing going on with uh, 137, right? Um, some people would say, well, that's not singleness of purpose. Um, yeah, it actually is. Um, if you're... If you're um, a predator and alcoholics anonymous, we have um, a responsibility to protect people, protect other women, right? Because alcoholics anonymous needs to survive. We need to talk about things. We need to know that those feelings mean something. You know, the, uh, the uh, cheapest date you can get an alcoholics anonymous is dating an alcoholics anonymous, right? Because they've already heard your footsteps. They've heard you share from the podium all your 
um, <clears throat> all your vulnerabilities, all your insecurities. Right? Because we're honest and alcoholics love us. So I shared very openly in uh, London about how important it was that we stick to alcoholics anonymous and that we look after each other. Because it needs to be a safe place. I mean, it's never going to be a safe place because we have the creme de la scum <laughs> in alcoholics. We have everything in alcoholics anonymous, right? We have everything from bank robbers <laughs> to financial wizards, you know. Um, but I, I've shared openly, you know, about keeping to our primary purpose. But this is Alcoholics Anonymous. It's, it's really not a dating club, right? It's really not. And if you're dating an Alcoholics Anonymous, you really should be doing more work with your sponsor, quite honestly. Um, I mean, you know, the goods are on, but the odds are good. Um, and, uh, you know, there were, there were meetings that I would walk into an Alcoholics Anonymous and people would go, <sighs> literally. And I kept showing up. I just kept showing up. And uh, I had a girl come right up to me one day and say, I don't know why you keep showing up. Nobody likes you. So they don't have to. I need to be an alcoholic anonymous. I can't drink just because you don't like me. You know, I identify an alcoholic anonymous whether you like me or not. You know, I get to suit up and show up. Um, and, you know, the, I, thinking about my home group, there was one person in my home group that really wanted to spend an hour and a half in a car with me. You know, they did it because they knew I needed it. You know, when the hand, when somebody reaches out for help, we want the hand of AA to always be there. And for that, we're responsible. You know, um, I challenge you to take symbolism of purpose back to your groups. Bring it up in a group conscience. You know, ask the question. You know, how do we stick to the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous? How do we keep Alcoholics Anonymous alive? We do that by identifying about alcohol. We do that by identifying about the feelings associated with alcohol. By the what happens. You know, doesn't matter what you drink. Doesn't matter how much you drink. What happens when you drink? You know. You're an alcoholic synonymous and you love it as much as I do. I hope that you'll give it the effort and stand up for what we believe in. Help us keep it here for the future. Thanks for letting me share.